Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode three for season 10. This episode was recorded very early on Saturday, the 7th of March, Release on the 25th of March, 2020. This episode of the RayWenderlich.com podcast is sponsored by Springboard. If you want hands-on experience in deploying a machine learning model, want to learn how to write machine learning algorithms, or would like to deploy a deep learning prototype, check out Springboard's machine learning engineering career track. With this program, you'll also be paired with a machine learning expert who provides one-on-one mentorship support throughout the entire course. This was designed for software engineers, so you must have at least one year of experience coding with an object oriented programming language to be eligible. Springboard is the first company and still the only company in the U.S. to offer a machine learning engineering career guarantee for students interested in changing careers. This means either you get a job in the industry or you get your tuition reimbursed if you're based in the U.S. or Canada. The RayWenderlich.com podcast has partnered with Springboard to exclusively offer a $500 scholarship to the first 20 eligible applicants. Scholarships are awarded on a first-come, first-served basis, and remember to use the code AISpringboard when you apply. To see if you're eligible, go to springboard.com. The application is free and only takes 10 minutes. And we thank Springboard for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. I'm Alex Sullivan, here with my beardorific co-host, Drew Freeman. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. On this episode, we welcome Shai Mishali to the show. Shai is the author and the final pass editor on the book Combine, Asynchronous Programming Swift from RayWenderlich.com Press. Shai is the iOS tech lead at Get, the on-demand mobility company. He's also active on open source projects such as the RX Swift community and RX Swift. On this episode, Shai will take a synchronous approach to telling us about asynchronous programming with one of Apple's newest frameworks combined. Shai, welcome to the show. Hey there, thanks for having me. Uh, awesome being here and talking to you about Combine today. Yeah, which now I, I guess we should just We'll get to this later, but it's combined. It's not combined, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's it's pretty funny because people were a bit confused about how to pronounce it, and we actually couldn't find the logo for all of our open source work, so we just used the tractor icon, which is like combine, <laughs> just to kind of confuse everyone, but it's indeed combined because you combine things together. That makes That's sense. That's amazing. So is that shine. stuck? Is, like, is the tractor icon a thing? In uh, it, it, open source projects the, the around Combine. The tractor icon is a thing in, in oh, yeah, the tractor icon is definitely a thing in uh, in Combine community and some of the other projects I'll, I'll talk to you about later, uh, I believe. But uh, I think people mainly laugh at it because they understand the joke. I really hope no one takes it seriously and thinks we are open sourcing <laughs> tractor software or anything. Uh, not our plan anytime soon. That's amazing. Which is why they went with a polar bear for the book. Exactly. This was actually my wife's idea, and I, uh, I think it's awesome. Uh, we had a big discussion in the Ray Wenderlich team if uh, a polar bear is considered a sea creature, and I convinced them that it indeed does. <laughs> I'm very happy with that. That feels like a bit of a reach, but I'm on board. So a sea bear. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the scientific name is uh, some, something related to aquatic waters or whatever, but I just wanted a cute little uh, polar bear on the cover, and no one else used that creature for the co- uh, book cover, so it was an opportunity. <laughs> and, and every time I get to talk at some conference or talk about the book, people are like, how did you come up with a polar bear? It's so cute. I'm sure that alone sold a bunch of, uh, a bunch of copies. <laughs> you know, and that, that's an interesting thing. When people go, well, why did you, you know, I, I've got the book. Why did you come up with this? It's like, you know, most books have an about the cover on page three. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, so why did you do that for this book I bought? Obviously, you haven't read the book I bought yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jacused. Jacused. <laughs> if you will buy it, you will see that yeah. it, it says nothing about the fact we just wanted to use a cute bear in the cover. Yeah. We just made something, uh, I guess, that relates to the bear in a way. For the why, why did you choose that for the cover? Yeah. I don't know. Why did you choose to use this technology? So there. <laughs> All right. So you are the iOS tech lead at Get. Correct. Um, so, so Get is an on-demand mobility company. You can just think of it as transporting things from point A to point B, where things can be people or objects. That means you can do e-hailing for taxis, or you can also do deliveries, stuff like that. Uh, so that's why we call it generally a mobility company, because you can do a lot of things related to that field. And I've been there for about a year and a half now. I've been responsible for iOS-specific tech decisions, uh, leading the team, technically speaking, uh, and doing a lot of hands-on work as well. Uh, it's been uh, a ton of fun so far. Great. Uh, and you are the t- you're an iOS tech lead there. Indeed. Yep. No. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I'm a tech lead there, and uh, it's a bit of an abstract kind of role. I think it's. Really, a good combination of being hands-on, but also providing really rich technical support for and you know direction for the rest of the iOS team. Mm. But in the on the side, you're also doing a lot of the open source work, especially in the RX Swift world. Yeah, that's true. I think that uh, my entire uh, falling in love with reactive programming uh, started from RX Swift. Um, I started working with it a couple of years ago, I guess two, three years ago by now, and got really deep into it. Uh, I've been maintaining, and I've been the owner of the RX Swift community GitHub organization. I've been maintaining oh, all wow. of the projects there, and um, I've been doing a lot of work for the community and. Uh, over the past year, I've also been one of the main contributors of Arc Swift itself, along with Krunoslav Zaher, who wrote uh, most of the code. Um, but he's been uh, kind enough to let me cooperate with him on maintaining that repo. So that's been a ton of fun as well and a huge challenge. Um, and because in the company we highly leverage Arc Swift, it's also an awesome opportunity to, you know, change the open source code of stuff you consume yourself inside the company in our, our architecture as well. Now, how did you first come across the the RX Swift project? Wow, that's a really good question. I have I, no I, I idea. I, I, I do yeah, try. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason you're on that side of the microphone, right? I guess uh, that's a really good question. I think that um, I wor- I used to work in um, remotely for a U.S. Canadian company on uh, the mobile app of Tim Hortons, which is a Canadian coffee mm. chain. Yay, Yes, yeah. Timmy, Timmy Rons, exactly. Um, so uh, I used to work in the app there, and uh, I had basically uh, the permission to choose whatever tech stack I want and make whatever technological decisions I want when we started doing that project. Um, and I 
used to hear a lot about reactive programming and how you can have a single source of truth for your state and make sure your app is always up to date, don't have like stale states or, you know, different values in different screens, different computations. And I thought it's really a cool concept, but I had no idea what it means. <laughs> I just really dove into it. Um, I took some risk and decided I'm going to um, try it on a few toy projects, try to figure it out after a, a bunch of months of head bashing and try to figure <laughs> out how that thing works today is it's not the only way I would program right but it's something I understand well very well I think and it's something that I feel fits most use cases um, especially most asynchronous use cases and then mm -hmm. app is just a big asynchronous thing right I've been trying to to get into Canada not get into Canada but trying to uh, to, to get a job and 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 move there it would kill me to work remotely on Timmy's stuff because I know yeah. how to, I, I like the food from Tim Hortons and, and to sit there going I'm working remotely on this on this donut it's project so it just delicious. <laughs> it's so delicious I know this is like an unpaid uh, sponsorship for for Timmy's I think, yeah, but, yeah, yeah pretty much um, yeah I mean it was it was it was really hard. Like working remotely is really awesome. I did it for mm -hmm. almost three mm -hmm. years and I used to fly every two or three months to New York for two and th two or three weeks. So I've, I spent about two and a, two and a half months of every year um, oh, wow. in the office there. Um, but actually I developed all the entire app without ever visiting Canada, which was pretty oh, funny. Um, a, lot of, a lot of good tests and a lot of good mock data. Um, but yeah, it was funny because then eventually I did get to Canada and ordered. I was like, wow, this, this actually works. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I didn't think my app would actually work. So you didn't, you didn't get to test your, you didn't get to test your app until way after you were done. I didn't, but obviously people in the company yeah. tested it and yeah, but I didn't get to, I worked with a lot of mock data. So I tested it with that mock data, you know, mm -hmm. mock location, mock whatever, mock stores, um, but no, I didn't actually or get the full experience of ordering, going to a store, taking the thing, making sure it actually works, that they start preparing the item on time. I didn't, I never did until uh, wait, until after it shipped, basically. Yeah. That's an interesting, can you imagine going, uh, I'm just imagining testing an app where, you know, I order from a store. So I go to the store, I put in the order, and then uh, a teller or somebody is like, hey, how come my uh, device just crashed? So yeah, I'd be like, ooh, looks like there's a bug. Yeah, we really, uh, we really need to do a show on what it's like from an engineer's point of view to be a remote developer because it's mm. uh, as uh, my current position is remote as well. You you get yeah, so into the concept of uh, uh, of meetings via sessions like this. You get yeah. into coding and how you monitor your own time. It's it's quite an endeavor. So yeah, it oh, yeah. has really, really good upside and downside, <clears throat> like anything else in life, uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Shai, I've got to ask you. We know what you do for work. We know what you do as sort of a hobby or as uh, on the side with projects. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you're not coding? Oh, okay. So uh, I do a lot of things. I have a seven-month-old baby, so that's taking most oh. of my time, basically. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Oh no, he, he's the sweetest. I would I would bring him into the camera, but he's he's far in the living room. But uh, yeah, he's sweet, and uh, it's funny actually. He went to talk at Tri Swift in New York when he was maybe five weeks. Uh, thanks to my wife for actually 
being uh, on board with that. Uh, and on board meaning not killing me, basically. <laughs> um, the second thing I really like is I play guitar, uh, electric guitar, bass, stuff like that. I have a bunch of... Uh, you can't see it on the camera, but uh, <laughs> I have a bunch of equipment surrounding me here. Um, and I actually studied two years of music production and engineering, but oh, wow. did end up doing high-tech work anyways. So I have found that a lot of the guests that we've had on the show are either guitar or bass players. I, I don't know. Or, or musicians in general. I actually have a theory that is becoming more practical that uh, musicians are very passionate people about creating things, right? Mm -hmm. And mm. But, but music doesn't pay anything. So people <laughs> go to a tech job where they can get money to sponsor the music thing, mm. and then they realize they can actually have creative work when programming, so they devote themselves to that other thing now. So I, I, at least for me and some, some other friends that came from bands as well and switched to tech jobs, mm. that's kind of the story, I think. Yeah, I, I've always appreciated the, the art-science crossover. I mean, my undergraduate was in theater, which a lot of people get a little confused about, or as a <laughs> podcaster, people don't get confused about. But I decided that coding <laughs> paid more than waiting tables, so... Yeah, <laughs> definitely a good equation, if, I'd say. Combine is one of the new technologies that Apple dropped so so lightly this past year i mean we've talked about the fact that wwdc sometimes can be underwhelming and then came 2019 where they just uh, pulled out a gatlin gun and started shooting the audience with technologies left and right how do we best from a from a 20,000 foot view explain what combine is i think that the best way there are two there are two ways to describe it. I think that the theoretical, semi-theoretical way to describe it is just that it's a way to wrap asynchronous work. Today, when you do all sorts of asynchronous works, and that could be a tap on the button or calling a network request, you have different ways of representing these things. For mm -hmm. example, a button tap could be some IB action, and a request could come back from a closure, but in combined, just have one way of representing all of these different things occurring over time. And the second thing is what people know as reactive programming. And because of these things, uh, of these units representing asynchronous work, they can also push values that let you uh, constantly get your app synchronized uh, based on the latest state of these publisher objects. So you can subscribe to these objects and always get notified when there are changes, and that allows you to have your app always up to date and your app's UI always up to date based on that state. And Combine only really has three objects, if I remember correctly. It's the publisher, the subscriber, and then the op operator. Oh, okay. So so we, you have a couple of things. I, I guess if you count operators, because operators are also publishers, uh, funnily enough, you have uh, the publisher, which is the unit that actually publishes values to subscriber, which is the second unit. And that basically represents a consumer um, that gets these values from the publisher. And then you have a subscription, which is representing that's a specific connection between the two. Meaning if I subscribe to the publisher, okay. I get one subscription representing that connection. And uh, when I'm done with it, I can just get rid of it and uh, or de-initialize de de it and uh, that work is basically canceled. And operators are just a really cool way uh, to manipulate these values that come from these publishers. Um, and there are a lot of them. For example, you can use something like retry and get really complex retrying logic for free without writing a single extra line of code. And because publisher is a single interface, you can 
do that retry on a network request exactly like you can do it on a video decoding session. So basically anything asynchronous can use all of these operators, which is really, really useful and uh, cool, basically. What is the best approach to, oh, I mean, besides go buy a book, <laughs> what is the best approach to begin to wrap your head around the way that Combine is put together? Not buying the book. No, I'm kidding. Okay, uh, the book is really <laughs> awesome for... <laughs> yeah, I had to. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. The book is really good to get up to speed on all the components that Combine has to offer, uh, theoretically speaking, and also practically speaking. But to actually apply it means actually building things with it and experimenting with it and seeing what works for your specific use cases. So you need, I guess... Like I said uh, earlier about Arc Swift, right? You have this observable, which is like a publisher in, uh, in Combine, and you know what it does, but you know, don't necessarily know how to apply it to your work yet. And the best way to know is to start working on apps that actually use that and be like, oh, okay, so I have a publisher and you can update me when things change. So maybe instead of using Notification Center, I'm going to use a publisher that emits notification changes. Or maybe instead of waiting for a delegate callback, I'm going to use a publisher to do that. Oh, and now I have two publishers. I can actually combine them together instead of having a callback and a delegate and trying to figure out how to put the two things together. And then as you acquire more knowledge of these things, you realize that everything is a synchronous work. And if you put all of these different synchronous pieces under that same interface, you can and easily connect them and make really complex and uh, pretty beautiful logic with them as well, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you have the matter of taste thing, which is architectures. That's an entirely different heavy talk, a lot of full, <laughs> uh, full of a lot of fancy buzzwords that are overloaded with different architectures. But yeah. yeah I remember one of the demos they gave, uh, which was surprisingly over on the Swift UI side, was showing how they could use combined to have three different text fields and a switch or something to make sure <laughs> that the text fields were all filled out and the switch was thrown before a submit button would light up. Exactly. So I think that's, that's a really good, it's a basic example. It's a good mm -hmm. example to show uh, how quickly you can get started in taking these different pieces of information floating in the air and making sense of them in a contained environment and putting them together. You also mentioned that in 2019, we got a bunch of interesting content together, which is something Apple doesn't really do. I've been to dub dub 2016 and 2018 i was like that was really nice 2018 was a bit of a slow year and then of course i missed 2019 when they had all the good stuff yeah. out <laughs> uh, and i think yeah a lot of people were kind of wondering why they released swift ui so early in a way because it was not entirely baked when they released it and i think it's just because swift ui and combine live together. They work off each other. More mm. specifically, Swift UI needs combined to live. So they had to push these things together, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Swift UI, some people, they don't know combine under the hood and basically every time your Swift UI uh, app redraws itself, it's because there's some publisher behind the scenes that tells it to do that. Oh, that's interesting. So do you think to, to like make use of Swift UI, people will need to use combine or is it just powered under the hood by combine? 
I think they would need to understand it. I think that a lot of the very basic units, which are like observable object, published, all these things use combined publishers under, under the hood, and you can easily build a very basic Swift UI app, or even not so basic, without knowing what combine is and what it mm. does. But the more you know, the better, right? So if you know how these things work under the hood, then when you get into some edge case, you know how to solve it very easily. Or if you think, oh, should I really use Combine? My app doesn't use Combine at all at this point. You can say, no, my app actually uses a ton of Combine at this point. Mm. So it does make sense to actually leverage these technologies because my the rest of my app is already leveraging it, basically. We talked to uh, to Laurie Gray two, weeks, uh, two shows ago about Swift UI, and mm-hmm. we all basically agreed that SwiftUI was changing during the beta process. It's probably going to have some changes over the next year. And you also use the term not completely baked. With Combine, that one seemed rather rock solid when it came out. Would you agree that that one's got a good baking and it's, it's really something that can be built on right now? I think that Combine is much more ready than SwiftUI. I think because it's not a... I guess it's not a, as much as a user-facing thing like Swift UI. Then you had a lot of really smart people working on it and making sure it's ready. So you had a bunch of uh, really smart people working on uh, Swift UI and Combine, obviously, and making sure that is ready. And I think that, um, I mean, obviously, Swift UI is the sexier technology, quote unquote, because a lot of people work with it because it will eventually become the new way to build apps. Um, much like Swift became the new language to develop apps with, and people, you know, a lot of people use Objective-C, but not a lot of people start building iOS apps with Objective-C these days, which mm-hmm. makes sense, right? It's the new tech. Um, I do think that, again, they they might have released it a bit too early because, as you said, even things like the object did change versus object will change, like the, that a big difference they made maybe a couple of weeks before going on Xcode uh, gold master that's very unlike apple to make such a big change um mm-hmm. you know close to release but i mean eventually they, they did a really good job i think that all the people i know that worked with swift ui would agree that it's it works really well for most cases it kind of allows you to draw really big brush strokes still uh hard to get the small details right i think uh, but it's it's evolving, right? So to your question, going back to it, I think Combine, I guess, is 85 or 90% feature complete. There are some missing pieces for people coming from uh, Reactive Swift mm. or Rx Swift, but it's definitely there. They definitely have most of the concepts uh, um, down. There are some differences that are quite big that some people are having a hard time to grasp, but aside from that, I think it's, uh, it's a really well-built well framework. Do you feel it's easier for people to get into Combine if they were or were not familiar with Rx Swift? Uh, you said there were a lot of big differences that people are having difficulty getting over. It, it almost sounds like if you if you haven't touched Rx Swift, maybe you'll have a slightly easier time getting into Combine. Uh, no, actually, I definitely think that if you did Arc Swift or Reactive Swift work before, then Combine is going to be super easy for you. Okay. There are two big differences. Um, I guess one huge difference, which is called back pressure, which is something that they added in Combine. We also have it in Arc's Java, but we never had it in a Swift-based reactive library. Reactive Swift. Oh, that's interesting. Either Reactive Swift or Arc Swift don't have it. So back pressure is basically... 
a mechanism to define uh, what to do when there is a burst of too many values being shot at the subscriber at one time. For example, someone subscribes and the publisher immediately has 10,000 values and the subscriber has no idea what to do with so many uh, pieces of information. So instead in combined, the, sub the, the publisher doesn't actually push any data until the subscriber says, give me some values. Mm. And the subscriber can say, give me up to three values or give me unlimited values or give me no values. So that's a really big um, change of per in perception. And I also, to, to this point, I think it's not a good decision because it makes building custom, uh, custom publishers and stuff like that much more complicated. And the use cases for actually using back pressure are very, very limited, in my opinion, especially in UI-based apps. Uh, but it is what Apple chose to do. I think they built Combine as this sort of framework does react like declarative, declarative programming and not necessarily aimed it at UI-based apps. Uh, which makes sense, right? And the second thing is that there are typed errors, which is something that Reactive Swift has, but Arc Swift never had. So that's also a big uh, hop to some people. But definitely the back pressure thing is a huge change to people uh, trying to build custom stuff. So that's, can you customize that? Like if you, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but in, so in Rx Java land, uh, mm -hmm. There's a specific type where you can kind yeah. of manage back pressure, and you can flowable, say buffer I think, all right? of it, or drop yeah. yeah flowables, or like yeah. drop so, yeah. all of this stuff or whatever. Can you do any yeah. of that customization in Combine? Nope. Uh, Unfortunately not. I like I a think, nice succinct answer. Is nope. <laughs> nope. You cannot. And I think that's a that's a huge uh, that's that's what I mentioned to be uh, um, I think wrong. I think they mm. they made a wrong decision on this because today the contract of a publisher means that you are forced to to respect uh, back pressure uh, demand they call it right. But maybe I don't need back pressure. Um, yeah. And because every publisher is forced to uh, adhere to that contract, it means that making the, these custom ones is very, very hard. Uh, very hard to grasp. And I think having a different type, even like flowable in from RxJava versus observable in RxJava would uh, provide much better value. And I also think you wouldn't be surprised that most people would use observable and, and not touch flowable, actually, because it's a yeah. very, I think it provides very rare use cases, some use. I might be wrong, but that's my experience on it, of course. The the use cases where the back pressure is a, is a problem, um, are we talking uh, streams of, of data from maybe a, a, a storage area, or, or what other kind of use cases can cause this problem? I guess back pressure, I guess it's very common for sensor information. Like if you move your mouse across the screen, you're going to get a burst of points mm -hmm. or if you swipe your finger across the screen you're going to get a bunch of ui touch like a set of ui touch events that could be thousands of events if the user does kind of mm -hmm. uh, swipes the screen back and forth um, same thing for um, huge portions of analytical data stuff like that um, it's hard for me to you know give you mm -hmm. good examples off the top of my head exactly because it is not very common that you would run into it. And there are actually operators that let you. I mean, in Arc Swift, people develop very complex systems without back pressure because there are operators that already sort of take care of these things. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it was just, I, I guess, a design choice on the combined team, uh, on the combined framework team. But it is their choice. I don't think it was a good choice. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm not part of that team. And uh, I think it's a good technology in general. I think that specifically is a choice that makes consuming that framework. Harder. One of the questions that I, I, I love to ask is, 
Assuming that the podcast has Apple engineers listening, what is your wish list? What what is missing, or or how would you wish an extension of Combine? Obviously, you're not going to fundamentally change it. Of course. But what what is your personal wish list for say a Combine two? Yeah, uh, I got I got two things on that one. Uh, I think uh, a big missing operator is with latest from, and also stuff like we get from Arx Coco, which is Coco specific publishers, for example. So you can subscribe to Touch Event or subscribe to uh, text changes on a UI text field. So those are things that we don't really have in Combine today, but we have in other frameworks. And the second thing, which isn't really a wish list item, but I guess just something I wish they would do earlier. I think that. Because Combine was built on the reactive streams kind of definition and also took some inspiration for sure from RxSwift and Reactive Swift, I think it would be awesome if they would involve the community. The community would love to help. I think even if they would want to hire people working on these projects, they would probably be happy to work on something so monumental, such as bringing reactive programming into iOS without third-party dependency. So if they would, I don't know if he would accept, right? But if they would yeah. offer Krunoslav a job or the people, uh, the main people working on a reactive Swift and having all of these people working on Combine, it would be amazing, I'm sure. But Because as we point out, Darwin is open source and Swift is open source. Correct. But Combine itself is proprietary to Apple. Right. We also have, you know, Foundation Lives that's also open source. Uh, you have a lot of... Actually, Apple is, is doing really awesome work moving some things to open source, like Argument Parser. They just released a couple of uh, days ago. But entire frameworks are not on that list. Uh, you, as you said, you have libdispatch and stuff that's in old open source archives. Um, I think it's a shame because it also means Combine can't be used under Linux today, uh, which is really a shame. The other frameworks do let you do that. Uh, like you can use Reactive Swift or RxSwift in, in a Linux server with Vapor mm -hmm. or whatever if you want to do that. Um, yeah, I kind of hope they would change that. I don't think they would make it open source, but maybe they would add Linux support at some point. That would also be pretty cool. You know, well, again, that's something that we'll have to wait and see for Definitely. material that would be released with WWDC 20. I'm looking to see how much work I would have on the second edition of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping yeah, a, lo a lot and not so much at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there, there's always a... Well, and again, we, we hope that none of these technologies do a Swift 2 to Swift 3 transition. Because yeah. that, that was... Uh, that, that was a growth spurt like most teenagers have. That was rough. But I, 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 can't, I can't say I'll be totally surprised if Swift UI, UI has that change at some yeah. point. I mean, it is in its primal state, and I think it, they can easily kind of say, okay, we took some community feedback, and we now think that the interface should change to something completely different. And that completely different thing would be awesome, but it would require a lot of refactors. I mean, I think it's fine to do that. It's very very early in the lifetime of Swift 2i and combined as well. All right, so let's, let's dive down a little into uh, publishers and subscribers and, and the general subscription. Uh, my understanding is the publisher itself basically just has the two types, which is the data type and the error type. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. You have two associated uh, generic types, which would be the output, which is the kind of values that publisher can send, and the failure, which, as I said earlier, is the typed error. So if you have a specific error type, 
you have a guarantee that this publisher can only fail with that specific error type, which is pretty useful actually, but it, it's also limiting because when you want to compose a lot of publishers together, you have to yeah. match all of their error types together, which is Ooh. a bit painful. Yeah, exactly. So if you have a failed network request and a failed image decoding session, you somehow have to create a, an intermediary error type that unifies them together. So we got generics, but we are having some pain with specialization in a way. Mm -hmm. Right, because the operator in there is, is somehow transforming the networking. Well, I right. would assume that if the networking is to pull down an image request, that your image error is either going to be network problem. Yeah. So mm. any network error turns into just one error along the way. Exactly. So what, that's what you would usually do. You would find a way either in the upper stages, meaning you could say an image decoding error is of the type of an API error, and we would just add another case to that mm. error. Uh, but it also could be that you're doing something in a third party and in your own code, and these things emit different kind of errors, so we'd have to unify them somehow. I think, you know, it's not a huge issue, but it is some issue, because if you, yeah. and you have to do it, because if you combine two publishers, then what is the error type, right? You have to define that somehow, because the generic system doesn't know how to infer that for you. Mm. Do you end up with a lot of, like, top-level enum errors that is like, this error could be API error, or image decoding error, or... Yeah. Touch event error. Basically, yeah. I mean, th that's actually a really good example. If you do like a, a URL session, you know, data task publisher, which is like data task with a closure, but you get a publisher instead, you would get some URL session error. But if you use the decode operator, which decodes the data, you would get a decoding uh, error. So now you have two kind of error types that can be thrown here. And that means that the eventual error type would just be a plain Swift error. So instead you have to kind of catch all of these errors and use something called map error to map all of these different error types into a singular error type. So yeah, I mean, typed errors are cool, but they have some drawbacks in the compositional kind of uh, aspect. And errors themselves can be more than just an error code. They can be an error code and a data packet as yeah. well if you're... I mean, the errors can be anything you, you build out of them. Yeah, anything anything that conforms to the Swift error protocol basically, uh, you know, can be an error. It can be, you know, most commonly in enum with some cases that, uh, and even associated values or even a full struct with some information, like Swift doesn't care as long as you conform to the right protocol. And uh, you get three or four different error types instead of combining them, just send never back. Exactly. So <laughs> that's actually a good segue into the fact that you have, uh, you can set the failure to never, and that's a guarantee that that publisher would never emit any error. It can never fail. Uh, that's and that's cool. really useful for UI stuff, actually. Because the UI is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, if, if you have value feeding a text field, you have nothing to do with an error, right? You want to feed the text field, so you're going to catch the error and give some other fallback value instead, and that would guarantee that you would get a never failure because you, instead of an error, you switch it with the output type of that publisher. Now, under the hood, most of Combine is protocol-based, so it was very gluable. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it is quite composable. Uh, there aren't too many protocols. I think that you usually end up, as, as long as you don't do custom work, right? Custom work means if you want to build an entirely custom publisher or entirely custom operator without composing other ones, 
then you wouldn't usually work with the lower protocols. Uh, they are there to let you do custom work if you want to do that. But as I said, because of back pressure and other constraints, it is quite difficult to get that exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that like combines a protocol-oriented uh, framework or something. Mm-hmm. It's more around, I mean, it, it is from the sense that you have to match the output and the input and all of these uh, different generic constraints. But, um, but yeah, I would say it's basically just a system to allow you to represent work in a really single way so that you don't have to figure out how, how you're going to do that specific kind of work. Just define one way to do work. And that's the way you represent it across your entire app or across whatever portion of your app that you choose to apply combining. The, the Gluable I mentioned was more directed toward the way that Combine has now been attached to um, the foundation classes and things like the timers and the notifications. They've yep. not changed. You've still got your notifications. You've mm-hmm. still got your timers. But now that... Now that they're, I guess the the best way is to say they're combine aware. Yeah, I think that basically they just added combine capabilities to these uh, to these foundation frameworks, right? So you can take a sequence, an array, dictionary, whatever, and do dot publisher, and you get a publisher emitting the values in the array. Or you can do, as you said, timer dot publish. But all these basically do is just return a new publisher. It's not really a protocol. It's an, it's an actual concrete type of a publisher that only does that specific thing. But I think, as you said, they just added another layer of you know publisher-based capabilities on top of the foundation APIs, like in URL session, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I wasn't aware until I'd gone through the book that arrays had become capable of becoming publishers. Yeah. It's quite useful for, I mean, it's useful for uh, figuring out how to do something, I think. It's useful for mock data, stuff like that, or for the book is actually a really good case. Uh, you can just mock an array of people structs or whatever and immediately make a publisher out of it that would fire through your entire operator chain, and that's quite useful. You effectively have, is it basically, if it's an array of string, it's basically a string never? Exactly. You got this. You already know Combine. <laughs> oh, no, At least I, I, I'll tell you. No, I'm, on cha- I'm on chapter two, so no. Ah, that's, that's good. You got through the introduction. That's that's applauded. We talked earlier in the season about the fact that we uh, do live casts of Google I.O. and WWDC, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the for those of uh, listening to this years in advance years later after the <laughs> after the uh, the live period we're dealing with uh, with covid-19 and the coronavirus and it's really beginning to shut down a lot of these major conferences um, there's a a website uh, is it canceled yet.com wow yeah um, which is basically a list of all the major tech conferences for 2020 and whether or not they have been canceled. South by Southwest has been canceled, not yeah. a major tech conference. Uh, right. Shai, you were mentioning a few of the ones that you heard were canceled. Yeah. 
I was supposed to talk in Tokyo in TriSwift, which was just a lifelong dream of me to fly there, and uh, it was canceled because uh, uh, of the outbreak in Japan. Uh-huh. And a couple of days ago, AppDevCon in Netherlands was canceled as well. Um, yeah, Google I/O has now yeah. been officially canceled. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be a Google I/O technology dump at about the same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we'll do a, 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 a semi live cast. Uh, <laughs> From whenever that data dump comes, but it's been an interesting year for tech because these you know, these conferences are not going to be happening this year. The the especially the major ones from these companies like Amazon, like Facebook, like Twitter. These cons are all being shut down just due to the general concern of packing that many people during a period of time where we have a very affluent virus going around. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite crazy. I mean, uh, actually, the situation in Israel as well uh, right now, all of a sudden, just like a boom in, uh, you know, people coming from back from Italy or back from Japan or whatever and uh, infecting local residents. So it's it's pretty terrifying here as well, exactly like it is in many other countries in the world. You know, like Italy from, I know, three people to, I know, a lot and some uh, dead yeah. people in, in France as well. I mean, it's it's just insane. Uh, I really hope uh, we'll we'll hear the end of that one soon. Yeah, and and Israel is compared to something like the United States. That's a very small country, so yeah, the the ability to to infect that entire country will probably be a lot faster than the United States, which has had its share of, of uh, not a, a very large number, but uh, a number of, of deaths have occurred. So obviously, uh, the, the other side effect of all of this is that a lot of tech engineers are being told, no, just work from yeah. home. Work remotely. Yeah. Work, work remotely. Yeah. And even if they have been office office folks, uh, the company that I'm working remotely for has uh, has issued an edict to, uh, to its on-site employees saying if you got a cough just don't come in yeah yeah uh stay home and work remotely and i i think that's uh very intelligent the, the question will be of course whether or not engineers will find themselves working remotely and then not going back to the office as yeah. such for sure i think also that what you said about israel the the upside of being a small country is that we also have very specific entryways so we can just shut down mm. the, the main airport and there's no way to get in or out of the country basically um because all of our borders are with tricky countries you would say so you would need <laughs> to get in there on an airplane to go through to europe or the us or wherever um and what about water yeah. isn't there a is what do you mean Oh, uh, I mean, it's not a common thing to to go on a boat to a different country. I mean, you could go maybe to Greece or something like that, but that country also is quite infected at this point. So I think a lot of Israelis and I think all over the world, you see this already kind of stock up on a lot of uh, canned goods, water, stuff like that. It's, uh, it's a bit paranoid, but also... You know, I can relate to how scary it is from my my point of view yeah. mm-hmm. of having Absolutely. my uh, my so, beginning yeah, I, family. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want I don't want to turn the the end of this podcast into into a series of gloom and doom. I I just want to <laughs> stress that a lot. You know, we're very lucky that this season is only two weeks between 
when we record an episode to when we actually have that episode go out. So as these conferences may get canceled or there may be changes to these com- conferences, we can at least get that information out to our listeners to say, okay, uh, you know, this one is gone or I should follow up with that. Right. Um, and, you know, we'll still have all the tech that comes available as it comes. Shai, this is really great information. I think Combine is a technology that people should definitely be looking into and adopting in iOS using Reactive. It's great to see Apple throwing a spotlight on Reactive technologies. It's going to help both the iOS and the Android world. Combine, of course, we we didn't even talk about the fact that that technology and that framework is for the entire Apple stack. You can do it for the Mac. You can do it for the watch, the TV. Shai, uh, author of the book, Combine Asynchronous Programming with Swift. You can find him online at Twitter for Freak4PC. That's Freak, the number four, and PC. Shai, thank you again for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And sorry for being a freak for PC and not a freak for Mac, but it's a 15-year-old <laughs> nickname, so you'll have to forgive me. I hope it won't uh, uh, make you not invite me for the next time. Like yeah, I said, exactly. I've, got the, I've got the six-color bleeding shirt here, so you know, I'm, 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 I've always been a, a fanboy. Ultimate, ultimate fanboy, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Alex, do you want to talk about our next episode in two weeks? Yes, absolutely. So on our next episode... Philippe Babic is going to come in and talk about Kotlin coroutines. Uh, we're kind of going to continue the thread of asynchronousness and figure out what's changing in the Kotlin world around doing asynchronous actions. So that'll so be a very so fun So this one. basically means that you can listen to this episode and the next episode at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both one ear. You'll have uh, one button one ear, one button another ear, and uh, you'll get everything, I'm sure. Or a lot of race conditions about what you hear. (laughs) Exactly. I'll bring my semaphores with me. (laughs) I I, I feel a deadlock in your future. Oh, (laughs) this is going to get really, really bad really fast. So we're going to just turn up the music and send things back to Ray. (laughs) Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendell.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.